Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Josie Norton is one of the founders of Choose Love, a charity that has raised millions of pounds to support refugees and displaced people. From Calais to Ukraine, they've organised fundraisers and pop-up shops to raise awareness and help refugees. Today I'm excited to talk to her about the letter she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So how are things at Choose Love at the moment? I imagine um, there's never been... Even during the crisis in Syria, I've never known a time where the issue of refugees was both so beloved and also so divisive as it is today. Um, And, yeah, it it feels like a very confused environment to to be working in the sort of space of the refugee crisis. It is. It's... um... I think in 2015, when we started and we were help refugees at the time, it felt like, you know, we were so outraged that the government and European governments weren't responding to help people. And that seemed like as bad as it could possibly get. And then we've just seen the environment get more and more hostile. We've seen policies become more and more inhumane, unhuman. We've seen this you know, the rhetoric against displaced people just become so horrible and, and you know, some of the most vulnerable people in the world being used as political pawns for people to stay in power. And it's, um, yeah, it's devastating. And you know, actually, I think it's just a couple of weeks ago it was released, the UN released the number that there are 100 million displaced people in the world right now. And when we, when we started, it was 65 million. So that's like, it's almost doubled in seven years. And that is, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to think that in spite of all the amazing work that's happening and does really feel like there is this like movement and growth of solidarity in civil society, but actually, actually things are, things are getting worse. So it's a bit depressing. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. But seven years ago, I would say that the issue of um, embracing refugees, so In this instance, I'm going to refer mainly to those from Afghanistan and those from Ukraine. The attitude, I mean, not so much that, that, I mean, it shows how long it lasts because it didn't last very long with the uh, Afghans in my constituency. Uh, But there was a real period of genuine, this is our mess, solidarity, these people helped us. There was uh, a real strong sense of that. I, I don't think that's gone actually amongst the general population uh, of certainly of my constituency or, or wider, um, but it's certainly gone with regard to the way that Afghans are uh, being treated by the Home Office. Um, sure. But um, but Ukrainians, I mean, it's like they could do you know absolutely no wrong in the eyes of the public. Uh, Ukrainian refugees, 
they're not even I, I, I'd be loath even to, to, to that people would refer to them as refugees I don't think that they even have that status um, no, as because because whilst refugee to me means something else actually it has become a term uh, of criticism uh, to to a lot of people uh, and, and and Ukrainians sit completely without that system it seems to me both from the it, the point of view of the government but also the point of view of the general public as well like they're it's they're different yeah it is a different it is and it is language is such a, a weird thing sometimes and it's so strange how the word refugee has become so weaponized and it is almost a derogatory term but at the same time it's a really important word because it's what refugee status is what affords people their their rights and so it's really important that people from Syria or from Afghanistan or from Iraq or from Eritrea are given that refugee status um, I think what's been happening with Rwanda just show just shows that that difference and how we're viewing where how the how the public how the media how the government are viewing people from ukraine versus viewing people from other countries we yeah they're not considered to be refugees and it's funny the reason they're not i would put entirely down to the fact that there's a legal route for them to come if only may, maybe now that we're we're discussing this on the podcast jess it's all going to change um yeah but we we did a post um last last week whenever it was in the it, as they were about to, to do the first deportations to rwanda which just said the government would never dream of sending ukrainian refugees to rwanda and that shows you just how racist this policy is and it's true i mean that's the that's the top and bottom of it and and it's funny like a lot of my constituents from afghanistan who have you know been here from a range of 25 years to two years or if not they came i mean when i say they came over in the fall of afghanistan there's about eight of them <laughs> to actually get here but yeah but you know there is there's a i got a handful of that sort um but um and my god did we work hard to get them here yeah. uh the Afghan like, community in birmingham are so wonderful i've had like the absolute privilege of meeting a lot of people and going to the amazing restaurants and being welcomed into the community just the best people i can see like with my afghan constituents who have so i've got one specific constituent whose dad um and funnily enough my security guard knew his dad because he was uh in the armed forces and served in afghanistan um he was like a colonel in the afghan army worked very very closely with britain but he's elderly and they uh tried to get him out and we managed to get him out, out, out of Afghanistan but not here and we're just trying to get him set they're like elderly him and his mum and dad they're elderly people uh, they're, and, and he's got a house here he's got a good job he can totally support them and I can see when he comes in to see me like how much he is grappling desperately not to feel bad about the Afga about the Ukrainian situation yeah. like he's like well i could host my parents and they served the british army and yeah. my mum was a teacher for women and it's like he's like i know i know i feel terribly i feel terribly for ukrainian families yeah. but I can't help but feel like, why is it not the same for me? Uh, and it's that's a, that is a horrible situation for them to be in. Like it's yeah. really, really yeah. awful. It is, and it, it it it's like because we don't want to take anything away from the the suffering and the need of the people of Ukraine, but it's the same in thinking about like ca like ca the fact that there have been refugee camps in in Europe or like the barracks in the UK. And for all of these seven years, we've been saying, this is insane. How on earth can, can we be keeping people in camps? How can we not be giving people their freedom? People need to be you know, given their status, the right to work. Children need to be in school. They need to be given dignified, safe accommodation. And the EU's answer has always been, oh, it's not possible. It's you know, this, this number of people, it's not possible for us to, to, to deal with that. There's been no other option but people put, being put in camps. And then right now we're just showing, well, that's not true because there's been, there's, been no, there's been no camps and there's been more displaced people in a shorter amount of time than we saw in 2015. Policy making in the pandemic, it was a bit like, 
you know, some, you know, ministers will stand in front of me and say, well, it's very, you know, we all agree with the honourable lady that, you know, there should be more refuge beds or whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, these things, what she'll understand if she's ever in government, very patronising, uh, oh, is that these things take time um, and until the pandemic. And it turned out everything could be done overnight. Anyway, this is not what this was meant to be about. Uh, we could talk about this all day long. We could. Um, so, are you much of a letter writer? I imagine there's a huge amount of um, letter writing that has to go on between, although these days everybody has mobile phones, but uh, yeah. amongst refugee communities. Yes, well, and now, I mean, people are FaceTiming and all of those things, but there there is a lot of letter writing or long message, message writing and... Um, people, you know, people haven't been able to see their families in real life for years and years and years. So, um, yeah, we have, we have. In fact, we work with an amazing organisation. Well, it's a book. Do you know the book Letters of Note? I assume you probably probably do. Um, um, so, Letters of Note is a compiled book of of letters, um, and they do a live version where celebrities read the letters. And they actually came to Calais in. Uh, 2016 to raise awareness when the camp was going to be demolished um, and so we were, it was amazing and a lot of the community came up on stage and read letters whether they'd written those letters that act for the for the night um, but it was it was so powerful and there's one particular letter that's been read over and over again at different events um, that was a, le a letter that said dear people of Europe and um, it was by this uh, a wonderful man and he expressed kind of how, how let down he felt by humanity and it was such a powerful letter. I, I would actually, um, it's funny because I find often with my refugee community, I find myself at loggerheads with how nice they are about Britain and the British government yeah. at times. They're like, oh, we're so grateful, so grateful. And uh, like, I'm like, yeah, you, 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 you've been institutionalised immediately to think yeah. that it's acceptable that this took you two and a half years to just get a piece of paper to, with your name written on it. But okay, yeah. you can be cheerful about that. Um, but like, you know, actually, I think that um, a lot of the refugees in, in Britain would write a letter of total... Um, gratitude yeah. and commitment to the country. I think that you're totally uh, right. Like, 100%. you know, and, and I'm always like, really? <laughs> like, uh, I'm sitting there moaning about everything. And actually, in many ways, many of them are conservative with a small C, actually, or, or um, not even conservative with a small C, patriotic about Britain in a manner that yeah. I would expect somebody to be who was conservative with a small C, in a manner that outstrips my own patriotism <laughs> by a country mile. Um, and I'm like, like, they're like, what a great country, whatever. And I think, God, you sound like a Tory MP. How funny <laughs> that they hate you. No, but it's, you know, and, and that's the, one of the things that's so strange about our system is that for some people, the system... When, when it works, it can work really well. And then, the, but the heartbreaking thing is, is that for the majority, it doesn't work. Um, and and that's, yeah, that's- Yeah, it's heartbreaking. So do you have any letters that you have kept that are letters of note for yourself? They don't just have to be from refugees or about refugees. They could be <laughs> like, you know, you've got a love letter that uh, my husband sent to you secretly. <laughs> I have a shoebox in my room. Um, that I put, I'm like quite a hoarder of things that are memories. And so in that box, I've got, when I was a kid and letter writing was more of a thing, me and my best friends used to all like, when it was school holidays and stuff, we would send each other letters. So I've got those letters in there. And actually recently was clearing it out. And it was so, it was like so sweet, but also so depressing. I found one from when I was 12 on a camping holiday with my family in France. And I'd written it to my best friend. And in that letter, I'm talking to her about already about wanting to lose weight and that I don't feel thin enough in my bikini. And I'm like, God, it's so sad to think what was what was being told to us as young girls of 12 at that time. I used to say things like that. My mum used to say, you'll never be as thin as you are now, sweetheart. Just enjoy it. <laughs> So not even like a me. not even a particularly body positive uh, image stop your bloody whinging yeah. you're never going to be as thin as you are right now ever again in your life <laughs> suck it up and stop it's moaning it's true I, should, I might say that to myself now too yeah exactly yeah. that is definitely true like yeah, yeah we should all yeah. just say this is probably the best this is the, this is the best right now um, so and then in that in that box I've got yeah I've got like letters cards from first boyfriends i've got 
um, like every birthday card my mum has ever written me. I've got yeah, little notes, thank you notes, basically anything that anyone writes to me, I put in that in that box. Oh my gosh, how amazing! Yeah, I've actually probably got I've got more than one box. There's like one in the cupboard and one in one in the bedroom. The one it for when it gets full. How amazing to keep all your birthday cards and things from your mum. Like, I mean, I, I lost my mum 11 years ago and I, I yeah. wish I had that. Like, you know, I wish that I'd kept those things. Because uh, yeah. she used to, tr- my mum was really good at cryptic crosswords and she used to write cryptic crossword cl- clues that, I, I mean, from the, like, the age of seven, we were expected to do an Easter egg hunt on times uh, cryptic crossword clue level. No way. That's so good. Jesus Christ, I haven't got a bloody clue what the answer to this is. <laughs> Like, I'm shit at cryptic crosswords. I I literally cannot do them. Me too, I can't do them. So, I've asked you to think about three different people that you would like to write a letter to. So, the first one is somebody who means the world to you. So, who would that be? That would be my mum. I feel like probably a lot of people say that, but it just... Mums get a lot of airtime because mums are, don't they? They they are, and I feel like I... As I'm getting older, um, and I'm so grateful for all the time that I have with her, but I, you know, I'm sure this is true of everyone, but you just understand how how hard things were and how much, I understand how much she had to sacrifice for me and how much the kind of, the values that I have in life, I didn't realise that she was teaching to me then and that, yeah, and they were always, and they were always right. And I, in my 20s, I was, um, I was quite troubled and I, I dropped out of university and I wasn't in a good place for quite a long time and I think I scared her a lot and I like put her through a lot and um, I now, you know, I've I've managed to pull myself out of it with her support and with the support of a, a lot of people around me but um, yeah, I, I just don't think I would, well I wouldn't literally exist without her but I also don't think I would, I would be here without like all the support that she's given me so yeah that somebody says you're only as happy happy as you're only as happy as your saddest child you can only ever be as happy as your saddest child oh god that's like a dagger in the heart and i do i think that that is um that is that is definitely true like it is like you know being a mom certainly of, of older teenagers it gets to be like oh god like it's 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 less work it's less graft like you know they can feed themselves and (laughs) wash themselves on their own clothes and things Mm. but it gets to be like worrying like there's a lot of emotional work when your children are sad yeah i used to i know i used to always when i wasn't in the best frame of mind i used to always never answer the phone and um and i like think back now to what that must have felt like and I just feel terrible I know <laughs> and just, I just feel I, so I don't, I, I, as the mother of older teenage children yeah. if my children don't answer the phone when they're totally fine my first thought is to assume that they're dead dead <laughs> yeah so exactly yeah that's that's what she thought um and um and I I feel bad about it and do you know what something this exercise hopefully she'll listen or she will listen to the podcast hi mom um but you know i haven't ever really said that to her so um the, thinking about this was a really good exercise for me what i would say though as well is that when your children are happy again and doing well i mean there's always a sense of trepidation definitely i grew up with a very very wayward brother um there's always a sense of oh gosh it could go to hell in a handcart but it's gone the pain yeah. is gone. Oh, like it's not nice. like it's not like pain you hold on to. Because yeah, you could only be nice as happy as your saddest child and if they're not sad anymore, like it's Then you're happy not, if they're happy. It's not like resentment that you get with um partners, like, you know, where you can forgive somebody like a, a, you know, a, an infraction in your relationship, but you often there is resentment that builds up around that, but it's not like that. Like as yeah. soon as my children are happy again, the slate is clean. Like, yeah. I, like I'm not even like I'm being the bigger person. The slate is clean. It's literally just gone. The emotion is it's gone. The feeling is. is gone. It's like poison, and it's gone. And That's so uh, beautiful. yeah, so your mom will uh, be, uh, you know, she, there won't be any resentment. I'm sure that she feels towards those years of you not answering the phone and her thinking you were bloody dead. <laughs> thinking I was bloody dead. That's that's lovely. Thank you, Jeff. What is your mom's name? My mom's name is Hazel. 
Hazel, great name. You don't get many Hazels these days. No, you don't. It's a really good name. And I've always thought if I was to ever, I haven't got kids, but if I have kids and I have a girl that I would probably, I would make middle name would be. Yeah. Oh, I've always been jealous my whole life of anybody who has uh, an X or a Z in their name. Z is a great, is a great letter. It's a great, my mum's actually very good at Scrabble and Z is also a great letter. Yeah, but see, I also love Scrabble. And what I I have, (laughs) I have coveted people with X and Z names my whole life without realising that my name has a letter that is a higher score than an X because I have a J in my name. And I I never took it for granted. Yeah, there you go. So (laughs) we're good Scrabble scorers ourselves. We are good Scrabble I, I play so much online Scrabble um, that... When I'm doing book signings, when people come up and they tell me their name, I'm like that. That'd be 19 points. <laughs> <laughs> Such a loser. So that, Hazel that sounds excellent. You're playing too much, Jack. Yeah, I, de- it definitely is. I've recently quit it because I can't, but I've, I've started spelling bee on the New York Times. And <laughs> that has become a total obsession. <laughs> I just love to do a puzzle. I like to think of it as exercise for my brain. It, it actually is good exercise for your brain. Uh, I mean, like, I, I hope that that doesn't turn out to be a Daily Mail story like the ones about red wine. Yeah. <laughs> what? The ones about red wine aren't true? <laughs> Which one? The one where it says it will kill you immediately or the one that says you'll die if you don't drink red if wine? You, that it's very good for your heart. <laughs> um, so you're, do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a sister. You have a sister. Um, And so your mum is the mum of two daughters. She is the mum of two daughters. She is. Yeah, it's a tough gig, I think, being a woman, bringing up up other women. You must... It's like an extra piece of work. Like, being a woman politician, like, you have to be an activist, a social worker, a a lawmaker, and you have to be, like, a feminist activist. Yeah. I've met Soma, who set up Everyone's Invited, and she said, oh, you know, what, what, what one piece of advice would you give me as a young woman activist? I just said, just... Be mindful of what you're grateful of. Just be careful not to act too grateful for basic things. Yeah. So when the government say to you, well, we are going to have a little review, like don't act really grateful because what that means is they're ignoring you. Yeah, um, but also, you, you know, like, I remember one of my constituents once said to me, you've got the vote, what more do you want about women? Oh my God, no. <laughs> He was sort of joking, but that's that that's the idea, isn't it? That we're meant to be grateful, not to like not being raped is like you're meant to be grateful for that. You're it's meant to be grateful it's, for it's that. like a really low bar to be yeah. grateful. Um it is. And, but if you don't act sufficiently grateful as a woman, that's problematic as well. So when I say like being the mum of two daughters and teaching them good values and strength and things, it just must be a minefield because you do. Like, I wish that I, you know, didn't have to say to young girls, well, actually, you you do need to move in packs because that's victim blaming, isn't it? And, you know, it's against everything that I believe. But I do still have to give that advice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it must be a real challenge, I think, to be the mum of daughters. So Hazel, she had a work cut out for her. She did, go Hazel. Thanks, Hazel, for everything. Go, Hazel. <laughs> Hazel, great scorer. I mean, the H isn't bad either. Yeah, she's just really good on a, tri- on a triple letter. She's just amazing on a triple letter, <laughs> Hazel. So how would you sign off your letter to your mum, Hazel? Um, I would sign it off. Thank you for everything. I'm... I, oh, God, it's hard. Thank you for everything. I'm everything I am because of you. I love you forever. I bet she would say... You, you know, you did some of the work yourself, but secretly what she's thinking in her head is you're not wrong. It was all Yeah, I think so. I always say to my kids, yeah, I always say to my kids, no, sweet, you, you put the effort in, don't worry. And then I am thinking, yeah, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> so the second person I asked you to think about was uh, somebody who's no longer here. So who would that be? So for that one, it's um, Caroline Flack, who was my best friend for well over a decade. And we lost her two years ago. I can't believe that I'm even saying that out, out loud still. It still doesn't feel real. It goes by so fast. Um, and yeah, Caroline and my friendship, we, we, we met in a pub, pub I worked in in Camden. Um, and we just fell in love straight away and we went on a million adventures together and went through breakups together and went through everything together and like all great loves. We had our ups and our downs and everything in between. And, and 
um, I just could never have imagined that she wouldn't wouldn't be here now. And you know, as I'm sure everyone listening will know what happened. Um, and I just wish, you know, it was just a few weeks before lockdown and a few weeks before the pandemic. And like, I just wish we could tell her that it, you know, six months later, it would be okay. And that the whole world was gonna change. And, you know, we can, we, like, we will find our way through everything. And you're so loved. And there are so many people who, who will support you and we will get through this together. And. Um, to, to like laugh about all of the memories that we share. I, th- I mean, I think about her every day. I think I see a meme and I just want to send it to her. I like, it's glass, about to be Glastonbury and we always went to Glastonbury together and I want to like call her up and talk about Glastonbury or write her a letter. So Caroline is that one. And um, I mean, when somebody dies by suicide, it does feel for, I mean, you know, when somebody dies from a long illness, the people around them, do feel that they were able to do everything that they possibly could in those circumstances. But when somebody dies by suicide, um, it it just leaves people feeling like the wishes that you're saying, I wish it, if she just waited three weeks, it, we would all have been in lockdown and things would have been different. There is so much about it that is, uh, uh, it's, it's irrational to be perfectly honest with you, when you know anything about people, you know, to, to be that unwell as to take your own life, there is no word, letter, there is, you know, you can't tell a person um, because it's very, very easy when you're very anxious to go, well, of course, you you, you sound this because you want me to snap out of it. Like, there, there's all, a million excuses for why the person might be being nice to you or telling you that things are going to be all right. Um, or that things will go away or that things you know yesterday's chip wrapper and all that and it's easy it's so it's so easy to say all of those platitudes um and to feel like you didn't get a chance to when somebody takes their own life um and it does just leave people feeling like oh gosh if if only this one thing if only this one thing uh but that is uh you should consider it an expression of love should yeah. it, you know the, that sort of anxiety of the wishes uh it wasn't a deficit when she was alive it's an act of love after she's gone yeah it's true it's true and she um she lived her life so full and with so much love and she always i what well, quite often when i feel like afraid of doing something or i don't have the confidence to do something I think of her and I can feel her egging me on because she was always, she was so supportive and loyal of her friends and wanted everyone to do so well. But also she was so brave and she lived her life so full that I'm always like, Caroline, Caroline would, would do this. Car- yeah. And um, Car- like Caroline played her best hand. I'm always like, I'm going to play my best hand. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that, well, that is good. That's a good legacy. Um, it is, I mean, her death is a total tragedy that has so many uh, bad faith actors involved in it that just the way that we talk about women, the way that we talk about uh, pressure, the way that we, the way that we just hound people who just happen to be famous as well. Yeah. It's just, um, there is so much to learn. It's just whether those lessons ever get learned is a different question. I'm not sure that they do. No, I know everyone. You know that it was. It's amazing to see, be kind, be kind everywhere. Strangely, actually, sometimes I that in Margate there's a graffiti of choose love, and then really near it there's a graffiti of be kind, which is really nice. But be kind, kind of you know, it's amazing. I still see it everywhere. But you think, did did people really learn those lessons to be kind? And well, it's, it's the thing is, the people who learned the lessons were the people who were available to learn them. It's the people who yeah. weren't available to learn them. Uh, the problem <laughs> yeah um, they and they were sharing because yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah it is it is incredibly sad and she was uh, uh an amazing character just she laughed all the time she like i just recall like she had like a dirty laugh and yeah, she would laugh a lot on the television she and did, always wear yeah. shorts and frankly i'm quite grateful that she brought those back <laughs> I'm not. I couldn't pull them off. 
I, I've got to say, I think that nowadays we consider shorts to be completely regular, but I, I, I think that was Caroline Flack. I, I, I don't think people were wearing the short before shorts that. not regular prior to Caroline wearing the one X Factor, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the return of the short. <laughs> well, look, that's another part of her legacy that we hadn't thought of. <laughs> shorts, it's a big one, I think. That's not it to be is. sniffed at. If I could no, leave anything not. as good as bringing shorts back, I'll be grateful. <laughs> shorts She'd really be laughing much. a lot now. I can hear, I mean, hear yeah. her laugh, really laughing. She'd love it. I mean, people would look at you and me and be like, oh, you know, they're going to leave the world better than they found it, or at least try to. But... I don't think I'll ever get an achievement as big as friggin' shorts back. In fact, no. They were dead. They were gone. They were gone. They were gone. And now they are They are fully back. They are fully back. <laughs> People wear yeah. suits. Suits. For sure. I was about to say, actually, what it was not only the shorts that she that she brought back, it was the shorts with this blazer, which maybe had never even been a thing. Maybe she, she made that. It's a very common occurrence that I see a woman on the tube in, and in, yeah. this, in this very warm weather. I yeah. mean... She's massively improving the lives of all those women wearing their, their short suits. <laughs> it's definitely, it's not to be scoffed at that. That's impressive inspo. It really is. I think the shorts. Um, it must be very hard to fit, and I have some experience of this. It's been five years, in fact, this year since my friend was murdered. Uh, so in the sorry, street yes. and in fact it was her birthday yesterday oh, uh, and I have a, a rose in my garden that always blooms on her birthday and I don't believe oh. in this sort of thing but I think it's her uh, yeah, and because it you know it's the white rose of Yorkshire that I planted in my garden for her and oh. um, for lovely Joe Cox but um, I um, it is hard to grieve it's not, it's not any harder when somebody famous dies than when somebody you love dearly dies. But it is, it's harder to have private grief and to be alone with your feelings when everybody is talking about... And, and it's stupid and selfish to say this almost, and it's almost like it makes me sound sort of pathetic and childish. But there is an element of them that you want that is yours... And shared grief is very, very, very... It made me feel so much better that the world was mourning alongside me. Yeah. That made me feel better in lots of ways. But there was an element of it that sometimes felt a bit vampirish, that felt a little bit like your interest is 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 charming but uh, and kind and all of those things. But this pain is different for me like it's like a personal pain and you must have experienced some of that in the wake of caroline's death yeah for sure there's a uh there's a comfort like you say in the fact that everyone can see what an amazing person she was the amazing life that she led that you can see how loved she was but it's also a, yeah a really strange thing when you something feel it's like in every cell in your body and for other people talking about it they're just it's like a, they're just talking about about something like it's news and it's not news and I you know I can't even imagine for her for her family what that yeah was, what that must like, have been that, like it's like yeah, yeah yeah and 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 I'm so sorry and Joe was also just such an ins inspiration and hero of mine in the in the field of refugees she was one of the uh, unrivaled voices I would say without question without uh, question yeah I mean even in the only the year she served in parliament pretty much she would never stand up without mentioning that like she would get her kids out you know yeah I, I would grab my kids and run with yeah. them um yeah and there is more in common than that which divides us and I say it all the time. It is very... She was an impressive person. Um, but also, there is an element when... Especially in politics, and I'm sure this is... There's politics everywhere, office politics and otherwise. There's loads of people who expressed obvious sadness, which you can still feel, but also definitely manufactured relationships with her that they didn't have. I used to think, she, she fucking hated you. <laughs> <laughs> that is another strange thing. <laughs> Suddenly people come out of the woodwork and you think, I'm not sure you do think that. Uh, I was recently <laughs> at the funeral of a member of parliament who had died quite suddenly of a heart attack. 
Harriet Harman's husband, Jack Jones. And as obviously, like uh, events like that, like sort of pretty much all members of parliament will go, regardless of whether they knew them or not. But there were some people filing in and I was sat next to Wes Streeting and I was like, if I die, Wes, don't let these people come to my funeral. I don't, I don't, I don't want some of these people at my funeral. And I want, I want that, you know, I want to die as I lived. And that is, yes. that is that I don't want any of the sex pests from Westminster to attend my funeral. No. And I want that to be made quite public in, in the event have, of my death. Yeah, you can have the opposite of a guest list. You can have a not allowed... Shit list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want you there. I, no, your name's not down and you're not coming in. You're not in. coming in. And like, it's just like... And, and I often think like... Um, being in the public eye as well, like how overwhelming it must it would be. What certainly Brendan and Kim uh, and Joe's family must have found, and I imagine even more so for Caroline's family, who were not in any way in the public. They're just a normal family. Um, yeah, and it the I always worry that my husband, who is just a completely normal person, has no sort of political uh, you know ties or anything like how overwhelming it would be for him um, to to have to like even go to my funeral and it'd be like in a cathedral rather than just in our local, you know, like the whole thing yeah. becomes not yours anymore. And I think yeah. that for Caroline's family, that must have been like being in a terrible situation in the eye of a storm. And yeah, just awful. And it, and it was locked and it was locked down as well, which is, which just feels so unbelievably cruel. But we're having um, her friend Natalie Pinkham has organised a festival in her honour that's going to be in about a month from now. And it's going to be so nice to be with her friends and family and a few thousand other people. But just and to like to remember her and to celebrate her and to laugh and to dance. And she was the best laugher and the best dancer. So it's going to be really like it'll be magical to have that time. even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender Hi. as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. So the last person I asked you to think about was somebody who doesn't know the effect that they've had on you and would be surprised uh, to, to hear it. So who would that be? So that person would be Hassan Akkad, um, who is a dear friend of mine who I met in 2015 on the news, actually on the Victoria Derbyshire show. Um, and 
Uh, for anyone who doesn't know who Hassan is, Hassan um, is an incredible filmmaker and activist from Syria. He uh, fled Syria after having been imprisoned and tortured by the Assad regime. Um, and he filmed his journey on a GoPro. Uh, and he, he had did two crossings between Turkey and Greece. Um, and the boats nearly sank, they were attacked. Um, and he, he filmed all of this and it became part of a documentary series called Exodus, um, which won a BAFTA, he's a BAFTA award winning filmmaker. Um, and he has, he has been through so much. Um, and we, we met on the Victoria Derbyshire show. He was just arrived in, in the UK. I had just started Help Refugees and we both didn't really know what was going on, but we just, we, we were there standing up for what we felt was right. And over the last seven years, Help Refugees has grown into Choose Love and, and we've seen a lot. And he has gone on to become a real voice for refugees. He, um, during the pandemic, he, um, I remember getting a text from him that, you know, I was, I mean, was go I was going through a hard time, obviously, because Caroline had just passed away, but everyone was going through a hard time. And he sent me a text saying, I feel like I have to go and volunteer in a hospital. And he, he, I mean, he, di he didn't need to do that. He went and volunteered on the, on the front line. Um, cleaning an ICU ward and he um, you know he was risking his life doing that and I just I think it's it's so incredible and he um, he was he he put a photo of himself and his PPE online and it, it went viral and he was doing all of all of these you know he was working all day in the hospital and then going uh, being interviewed and he was never being interviewed for you know to get himself on telly he was doing that because he wanted to change the narrative about who who refugees are and what he's always thinking about other people and um then a crazy thing happened where the government said that people who were cleaners and porters if they died on the they on the wards get, they, they wouldn't, wouldn't get, get the compensation yeah they wouldn't their, their families wouldn't get leave to remain and he did this um video in his car just saying how um how heartbroken he was, how betrayed he felt, how he felt he'd been stabbed in the back. And the government U-turned and, you know, how how incredible is that? Um, but he, my my friendship with him is something that's really special. He's like family to me. And I, you know, in a, in a different world, we would never have met. Um, thank God for Victoria Derbyshire. Thank God for Victoria I have met some Derbyshire. amazing people on the Victoria Derbyshire <laughs> who I'm still friends with. So uh, the fact that they got rid of the Victoria Derbyshire show I genuinely, that pisses me right off. Not just because I need more friends, but because like, I really felt like it got into like, and it was for like working class people as well. Like the time of day yeah. that it was on, it was largely, I think the narrative was very women focused. And yeah. also um, it was like talking in an ordinary way about m big issues. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I really rate Victoria Derbyshire. She's an excellent yeah. woman. And it was really bad, like everything's very ba balanced, I I feel like. It was, yeah, every time I went on, I, you know, I was it was challenging, but in a good way, because you have to ask those challenging questions and talk things through. And um, yeah, so 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 I'm very great. I'll be eternally grateful to, to her for my friendship with Hassan. But he, he, has, he has taught me so much about what it means to be human. He's taught me so much about the world. He, we also just have a, a really special friendship that where he has my cat magic that I couldn't look after. Um, and um, yeah, I really, I don't think he knows how important he, he is to me. When you meet people like Hassan, um, who've been through terrible hardship and trauma, um, I think a, a lot of the time, you know, like when they're talking about things, they have to talk about, you know, the thing they're talking about is their terrible trauma and the reason why that's made them an activist and, and, and all that sort of thing. But um, it's always flabbergasting to me. Like I will meet, you know, women who've been, been abused for 10 years by sexual exploitation gang or something. Yeah. And like the ability to laugh and yeah. just like <laughs> take the piss out of themselves and like, 
like we de we almost dehumanize people who've been through terrible trauma by making them their trauma. Yes. Like rather than them just being a human being who also likes knob gags, for example. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they, they are allowed to like knob gags, people who've had traumatic yeah. experiences. Yeah. Um, but like we, we, we in, in a world where you have to tell an extreme story to get attention, um, yeah. uh, often then people become defined by that extreme story. Yeah. When, you know, they might make amazing croissants or like they might, you know, yeah. they've got something else about them. No, it's true. And and actually all the things, if I'm thinking about the, the impact he has had on me, it's actually the, like, when we go for walks on the, on the heath and he got in, he got into tree hugging with me, which is something I really like to do. Like, like the lol jokes that we WhatsApp each other, been to quite a few raves together, you know, Glastonbury, all of those things. He was, he got on really well with Caroline. He really made her laugh. So, you know, it's, um, you're totally right. Uh, well, Hassan is a very inspirational, uh, man and, um, I bet you he feels the same way about your friendship with him. Uh, and uh, I bet you he feels enthusiastic about Britain and British people, uh, yeah. notwithstanding some of the dreadful decisions. But yeah, that U-turn. I mean, the, the government saying that they, w they wouldn't give leave to remain to the families of dead porters um, who died working in the pandemic. It was so awful from the start it was so inevitable it's, it's like really bad politics to have done that yeah because it was always going to have to be under it was always like it, it was like <laughs> where, what are you where, doing where were they sitting around going that sounds like a good idea like i i i just on any on a moral level on a Oh, but like how they even thought that people would be behind i mean they just they got it i mean they get everything pretty wrong but they really got that wrong uh so how would you sign off your letter to hassan i would sign my letter off to hassan by saying um you're an inspiration i'm so grateful that we met um and we're family always oh i'm lovely are his family here now are some of his family here with him his uh, brother is here with his wife and his niece. That's only very recent. Um, and um, and I know the rest of his family are, are, are not here. Yeah, he actually- The world has um, forgotten about Syria in a big way. It, it really has. Um, the, the organizations that we fund um, in, in Syria and in Lebanon and in Turkey, um, it's, it is like, it's heartbreaking that they don't, they, they just, their funding has dropped so much. And, you know, people don't know, Putin is still, Putin and Assad, but Russia is still dropping bombs on schools and hospitals in Syria, and no one cares. Not clamping down on Assad. The global community will one day, I mean, this is Joe's big thing. Yeah. All it takes for evil to happen is when good men do nothing. And is. that is uh, entirely the case. Um, years and years of foreign policy baggage totally totally and people just being af af afraid to speak up yeah the people of syria shouldn't have to pay the price for the years and years of foreign policy failure and concern of and this goes for the the, the right wing of our country and the liberal left as well yeah it's uh, i mean there is Absolutely of both people, a hundred percent both, a hundred percent both sides. I, I wrote a thing uh, in my latest book about how it's really, really easy to say don't drop bombs. Yes. Like that's, you know, well done. You get a sticker that's yeah. like saying I love my mum or I like cake. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, okay, you, you think you wouldn't drop bombs. Well, actually, inaction doesn't yeah. mean nobody dies. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, fact, just means that you, it just means that you haven't had to make a hard decision. And I, I, when, when I came into this work seven years ago, I think I, I very much was. was yeah, don't drop bombs. <laughs> I was that don't drop bombs person. And then when you are speaking to a mum who's, who's living in a country and chemical weapons have been used on her children while they're at school, you can't say sorry. Sorry, actually, we're not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna help you. That's the, 
it does it doesn't make sense and i started to understand god is also this is all so much more com- complicated than that and with it's such a privilege to be able to say oh i don't i don't believe in that yeah my my syrian constituents have said to me where were you if yeah. somebody was poisoning your children what would you yeah. want me to do what uh, would you want yeah, me well, to do yeah uh, would you want me to sleep well in my bed at night because I took the view that we shouldn't drop bombs. Yeah, it, it, it's like uh, you know, it's that is hard to answer. That is hard to sit and say, you know. It actually, is. if somebody was poisoning my children in their school, I would want Rambo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to turn up. I would literally. I would yeah. want. I would want 1980s sliced alone rocking up to protect them. You- uh, Well, Jesse, it has been a total pleasure to oh, thanks, talk to Jess. you. Your choice It's been the biggest excellent. pleasure. Oh, no, it's honestly my pleasure. Sorry that, you know, I talked about knob gags. Uh, and <laughs> Who doesn't love a knob gag? Who doesn't? They're funny. And that's why, I mean, my, one of my very best friends this week got had the police called on him for making a knob jack gag. No, uh, shut up. Yeah, yeah. So Joe Lysett is one of my very good friends and he oh, literally did a knob gag and... Somebody called the police. Call the police. <laughs> so. Well, that tells you everything you need to know about the world that we're living in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't worry <laughs> about the people being poisoned abroad uh, and needing to flee, but do worry about knob gags. At a do worry about knob fast. gags. In, well, I, I think in the world that we're uh, living in, we fucking need a knob gag. Yeah, we need this. We need a knob gag. You can swear all you like. Okay. We need <laughs> as many fucking knob gags as possible. It has been a pleasure, Josie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you do and everything that you are. I love you. I should have written a letter to you. (laughs) No. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. <laughs>